Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. You are listening to Missed Apex podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called Trigger Warning. This is your trigger warning. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going great. I mean, man, what a busy week it's been uh, for, for news and for us on the podcast. We've been doing quite a lot. And the relaunch of eRadio as well, ready for season five. Absolutely. I was so happy to get back into the podcasting stage with Matt on that one. It's become useful to have a journalist on board the crew as we get into this quite newsy week. We're going to talk about driver change news. Obviously, we've got some new drivers coming into Formula One. We're going to talk about some changes in driver standard rules for driving that's going to continue for the rest of the season. That's going to affect our whose fault is this argument. We're going to discuss some ways in which to spice up race weekends. And we're also going to be covering the news about the upcoming W Series for next season that claims that it will boost the chances of seeing women in F1. So trigger warning, we are going to talk about this subject and try to have a grown-up conversation. We're also going to hear from two guests with opposing views. And in fact, on this panel, I know we have panellists with opposing views. We're not going to fall out over it. And I, I understand this is an emotional subject, but a lot of people would do really well to relax slightly. That will be towards the end of the show. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We have, oh, it's been too long. Fresh from the the uh, SP2T Championship lead winning car in VLN, it's Bradley Philpot. Hey guys, how you doing? Good. You've been doing some winning, Brad. I remember about a month ago, that title looked well out of sight. And now you've got like a half a point lead. It was all completely deliberate to make a great story at the end of the season. But yeah, you're right. We had a, a really bad start to the year. It's been going well recently. Good. We'll hear more about that later. But for now, we've got to cover some. Big Dirty News. Well, Chris Stevens, this is the one we've been waiting for. 
one of the Williams seats has gone. To George Russell. Isn't that a great signing? A multi-year agreement he's got there. Uh, and we assume he'll be going in as F2 champion. It certainly looks to be going that way. Was there ever any question about his position in F2 dictating what he could or couldn't do in F1? Um, I don't think so. Um, I mean, George has had quite a good grasp on this title since about halfway through the season. It looked like it was going to be quite close at the beginning of the year, but his consistency has been really, really strong. Um, I think his talent has been so quite obvious. So I think regardless of whether he came away with the title or not, uh, his uh, negotiating ability, as we've actually found out, uh, is what's got him this seat, uh, would have shone through anyway. Tell me more about that, his negotiating ability. Well, he called Paddy Lowe uh, right before the German Grand Prix. Of course, he knew him briefly from uh, the time they shared at Mercedes together before Paddy left uh, for Williams. Is, is that all it took? I could have made that phone call. Br- Brad, you could have called up Paddy Lowe. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how much that really influenced it and how much was really just going on in the background. I was quite surprised, though, to see him there instead of Ocon. Um, you know, if, if a lot of this is because of Mercedes assistance then it it seems strange that he would be the one but i'm all for it i would not say it's because of merck um assistance russell has been proactive and actually the the chat room is saying are they getting discounted mercedes engines for next season they are not russell signing really is irrespective of mercedes or or williams ties to mercedes yeah but um how much how much recently have Williams been willing to take on someone based on their talent? Like it's, they've needed the money. So it seems strange that they would suddenly just go, Oh no, actually we'll take someone with talent when that could have happened for ages. Well, I think the idea is that they'll take Russell and keep Sorokin to keep the money flow uh, coming in. Uh, I, I do think because Ocon is the one who's been left out in the cold in all this, but between him and Russell, Ocon is the one who can afford a year out of F1, and Mercedes aren't just going to pay someone to give either of them a seat. Uh, I like in the chat room Kevin666 saying the phone call story is slightly cringeworthy, even if it's true. But Chris, as a journalist, you must appreciate that the romantic phone call story is a little bit more exciting than the, actually, yeah, there is a bit of a Mercedes link in there. Well, it, it shows, like I said, he, he's been proactive about it and he got the ball rolling. He set up that first meeting and that was, a, you know, that was the keen interest that is what enticed Williams, I think. So then, do you think there might have been another phone call maybe from Toto Wolff to George Russell saying, might be a good idea if you give Williams a phone call, George? Before or after? Um, well, before, you know, like maybe he might have nudged him in that direction. I don't know. He, didn't, he, he wouldn't admit it either way, would he? <laughs> So it's quite interesting then because, yes, you're right, it's Ocon that's been left out. I never seriously saw the prospect of Kubica coming back in. So in reality, Williams never had another big money option. It was always keep Sorokin or not keep Sorokin. That's the money option. Was there another option for cash, just cold, hard cash? Uh, it doesn't seem like it. Um, I think Artem Markolov could be the closest thing, although we know he is, you know, quite a talented racing driver. But I feel like he's been in, you know, sort of the intermediate category in the feeder series for a little bit too long now. Uh, I feel like he's probably missed his F1 window. Uh, I've never really looked at him and thought he was top quality F1 material. Um, so I would be surprised if he ended up getting um, that seat. All right, let's get Brad's opinion on this then. How good can Ocon really be? If there's no money involved, 
How good can Ocon really be if George Russell has been picked over him? It's difficult to say, isn't it? Everyone's been really rating Ocon over the last four or five months or so. I'm a little bit more on the fence because he hasn't been destroying Perez. I don't really rate Perez that highly. I know Boom. you love him to bits. But Checko. yeah, he hasn't been blowing him out of the water. He's been doing a really solid job. I don't think he's the Messiah, though. I think there are potentially better drivers in the pipeline on the way up. So I, I don't know really where to uh, pin my colours with that one. I think, as I mentioned earlier, Ocon is, between the two of them, is the one who can afford a year out. Ocon could, if he wants, spend a, a year just as Mercedes test and reserve driver, really learn the team and take Bottas' seat in 2020 if he wanted to. Whereas Russell, if he disrupts the momentum, you know, he's about to mirror Charles Leclerc in taking the GP3 title, the F2 title, and get an F1 promotion in consecutive years. If you disrupt that by, that momentum by you know, just putting him in a reserve role or throwing him in super formula for a year could really disrupt him. It's like when they they fixed X Factor so that Will Young would win when he robbed Gareth Gates because they felt that Will Young needed that, that race win and Gareth Gates was going to have a, an enriching career all by himself. Don't you agree, lads? Isn't that right, chat room? I'm, That's what you're all thinking. I just realised who you look like, Spanners. <laughs> I've been told before, like, you look like Gareth Gates has been in the pub for 10 years and let go. Yeah, I've had that. <laughs> so one thing we've not mentioned yet with this um, Russell to Williams move and, and kind of likewise the Norris to McLaren move is that in the past, I don't think we'd have ever been getting that excited about a driver moving to Minardi. But that's effectively what Williams is now, isn't it? Williams Ooh. is the worst team and Russell is going to be at the back of the grid unless something massive changes at Williams over the winter. Um, what do you think about... The yeah. fact he's going to be scrapping for last place. Well, it, honestly, I had the thought popped into my head going, oh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's too big a jump from F2 into a top T. And then I had to stop myself and go, oh, no, he's going to be piddling around at the back, isn't he, Chris? I, I would agree with that. Well, the, the jump part, not the second part <laughs> of that statement, because I think with the midfield the way it is at the moment, I'd be very surprised if that order were to remain the same next season well, especially hang on. you think Williams are going to take a leap into the midfield next season nah given the aero changes for next year I don't think we could take anything for granted uh, especially you know given that they've, they've got that extra money now to spend on a little bit more development they seem to have been more ones like McLaren who have switched the focus off the 2018 car earlier and and start to put their investment in the 2019 car but it's the same team designing the car that screwed it up this year. And the aero changes aren't really very big in reality. They're not a giant change. The car is going to be fundamentally the same. I think Williams' only trump card, as it has been for the last four or five years, is that they've got the best power unit. But like that doesn't seem to have helped them enough this year. I think they're, they're really broken. No, I, I mean, I'm not expecting them to take a huge leap forward. But I think... Um, that it's an opportunity for them to make some steps forward in terms of performance, but also with somebody like Russell at the wheel, who, let's be honest, we probably rate him a little bit higher than the likes of Stroll and Sorokin. That's probably going to end up being a better package for them. I think that is the biggest thing Williams are going to find next year is actually having a quality driver rather than, you know, uh, a pretty nice, but a bit of an also ran and, probably not very nice and a hopeless rubbish Canadian in the lineup. Well, he started off nice, didn't he? Do you think the jury's out, uh, Bradley, on that Williams lineup from this year? Because it's hard to compare 
when we generally the consensus is they're both pretty poor. So I mean they could have both both massively improved over the course of the season. And I guess you wouldn't know relatively. I don't really think the jury's out. I think <laughs> the only thing, the only point that stops you going, oh no, I think Stroll is just totally hopeless is that he won Euro F3, but there's still question marks over how difficult that particular year was for him. He hasn't proven himself in Formula 2. They've even been Formula 2 or GP2 dominant winners who, like Van Dorn, have looked a bit middling recently. So I don't think you can really base his junior form, particularly with the teams he was in, um, to kind of say how good he is in F1. I think Sorokin was never particularly good in the junior formula either, and he's kind of been about the same, despite having a year's extra practice. I think they're both pretty back of the back of the pack in terms of Formula One talent. So I think an injection of an actual decent driver is going to make quite a big difference. On a similar note, Muna one one nine in the chat room has brought up that Ocon beat Verstappen in European F3, but Verstappen has looked the most promising driver. And again, it's that thing we don't always see the same caliber in junior series when they reach. F1, it, it flip-flops. Remember how uh, the most famous one is probably how Martin Brundle and Ayrton Senna fought for a British F3 title, but weren't as close when they reached Formula 1. I I don't think that the Junior Series is as even as we make out sometimes. I know we sit there, don't we? Chris tells me it's a spec series, it's the same for everyone. But Brad, surely there's ways that you can get yourself an advantage in the Junior Series and make yourself look better and then suddenly get found out in F1. Absolutely. There, there are. <laughs> we probably don't have time to go into detail, but... What? Tell yeah. me a few. Tell me a few. Okay, well, all the cars come to the teams effectively in the same guise. You know, the same package of parts is going to arrive at Prima Power Team or, or whoever else. But teams will have better engineers that know how to run that equipment better. It's the same with basically anything. You know, not even just sport. Different companies are able to run different pieces of, of equipment better um you know closer to the limit of yeah. of their performance and there's there's no there's no hiding the fact that quite often the same teams win regardless of what driver is in the driving seat year after year as long as they as long as they only allow decent drivers that have proven themselves in a lower rung you know they're not completely terrible drivers they're going to be in with a shot look at what's happened to i'm not saying Mick Schumacher is bad or anything but look at what's happened in the turnaround of form this year with it's Mick massive. Schumacher yeah. versus Dan Tictum in in Euro F3 it it's not it's not just down to the driver you know the the teams in the junior formula make not all the difference but a big chunk of the difference chat room's just saying as well there don't forget that Williams sorry not Williams Stroll paid to practice in a 2014 Williams before he joined in F1. And certainly not every kid can afford to do that. Brad, uh, how was your rise in the uh, junior series? Did you get to practice in 2014 Williams F1 cars? No, um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get to do any practice. Normally, I'd just rock out in qualifying and, um, you know, that's it because it all costs too much money. No, I was, um, I'm going to stick the knife in a little bit more here. Did you see the tweet from Lando Norris with him and George Russell stood side by side? And I was looking at that photo as a 38-year-old and going, blimey, this is like when the cops start looking younger. They look like children. How can, how can they be my heroes next season? Yeah, I saw that. I saw that tweet from you. And um, I felt a similar way, although as long as there are still older Formula One drivers than me, I don't feel too old because... GT drivers uh, are much, much older than that quite often. So I don't feel too bad, but I know what you mean. I'm just approaching this sort of stage now because next season, a quarter of the grid 
will be younger than me. And I'm only 21. Actually, that's a quite a big stat. And for me, it is only Kimi Raikkonen next season that's older than me. So that's the, that's the only reason I want Kimi Raikkonen to hang on in there. Uh, right. Other seats then. We're going to just go ahead, I think, on the assumption, Chris, that Sorokin's getting that second Williams seat. Are we feeling pretty safe on that? I would feel good about it, given the other contenders. Ocon looks to be out in the cold. Yeah. I can't see Markelov getting it, but I, I've been proven wrong on that before. And given the volatile nature of this season's driver market, I wouldn't put it past <laughs> them, to be honest. But I, my money would be on Sorokin. So that only leaves one Toro Rosso seat. And Joe Saywood, who I'm speaking to on Tuesday, I believe, is, seems fairly adamant that that is going to another Brit. Alexander Alban? Yes. And, and for those of us, um, he's the guy that drives under a Thai racing license, isn't he? Uh, I believe so. The, the only thing I would say about Alban, though, is he, he's literally just signed for Nissan Edams in Formula E. So this is quite a bizarre story, if I'm honest. How much is it really going to cost to get out of that if he gets a Formula One chance? Well, it, no, it depends what he'd rather do. Have a chance at winning in a different category or pootle around in the midfield of, of Formula One. It depends what he wants to do, to be honest. Brad, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? I mean, I'm offering you now the chance to win the Formula E title or get on the F1 grid. What'd you pick? I don't know, because I'd really like to be in a front-running Formula E team. And I don't really like the Red Bull school of drivers, you know, their their ladder. I don't really like Franz Tost and the Red and sorry, um the whole what's the Red Bull um talent chief called? Not Franz Tost, he's he's Toro Rosso boss. Dr. Um, Helmut Marco. Helmut Marco. Yeah, I don't really like that whole group. I think it's very ruthless and not very healthy for drivers coming through. And I definitely don't have a Formula One at all cost mentality in terms of what's important in motorsport. I don't know. But then he's an up and coming young single-seater driver who's done everything possible to get in that position. So I think it'd be very hard to turn down an F1 seat in that position. Is there no chance of a dual campaign because the majority of Formula E happens over the winter? Are there clashes? No, the the entire back end of the Formula E season, as uh, soon as it starts in Europe to the end of the season, clashes with a Formula 1 race. Mm. It's tough because there's nothing stopping you once you've done a decent job in F1, then going back and you know finding a Formula E seat at, with their you know with the hierarchy of the series as it is at the moment, but yeah, it would be weird to turn down or, or quit your very new factory role, wouldn't it, to mm. jump into a Toro Rosso? To be fair, because of course the first half of the Formula E season does take place you know so over the winter. Uh, I, now that I think about it, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that Albon would do the first four races say and then leave the team if a you know good formula one drive came along i've seen crazier you know things happen uh, informally alone i think it would be weirder for nissan to allow him to do that because it doesn't look very professional from their part mm. it makes it look like oh you've got more important stuff to do than driving for our team but he's a dams driver not a nissan driver so either way yeah and anyone who's interested in any of that Tune in to e-radio show, which has just fired up. Uh, you can actually find that on the mistapexpodcast.com site because uh, e-radio is a Mist Apex production. And that is Chris and Matt who lead that. I'm going to be on the first race review, but they've done a preview show that sets it up nicely. I think this is going to be a good season. This is a good season to jump in on Formula E as well. I think it's had its um, its toddlership in motorsport it's a grown-up series now and i'm really looking forward to season five chris uh, brad was talking about about not having a 
Formula One at all costs mentality. And, and we now also have that attitude, don't we, after getting yelled at by Alex Brundle the other week? No, sorry. I always had that mentality. <laughs> Again, you're the <laughs> one who's been told off at a couple of our audience members. <laughs> it's quite funny. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Yeah. So you heard that in the preview that we did for our, our sim racing at GTS RS in Uxbridge. Thanks very much to the guys at GTS RS for looking after us for the evening. And yeah, Alex Brundle yells at us when we, when we, when we inadvertently say very F1 focused things. Right. Force India. That's the last remaining seats, isn't it? I'd forgotten about them. They're not confirmed at all, are they? So that is going to be Ocon and Schumacher in the biggest surprise of the F1 silly season. I, I still, between the two of them, I still don't understand why you would take Perez over Ocon. But yeah, it does seem to be um, going that way with Stroll joining. Thing is, you don't know behind the scenes, do you, Brad? Could it just be that Perez is better behind the scenes and better at setting up a car and developing a car? I mean, he's, he's significantly more experienced than Ocon. Maybe, but in in my experience of observing motorsport, the guys who are quicker... That tends to be more important and they kind of, you know, work the rest out afterwards. I think it's more a case of Perez seems to be quite ingrained in various ways in the rescue package and, you know, debts owed to him yeah. and all that kind of mess that went on when they changed to racing point. And, and like you said, we don't really know what's going on in the background. And it seemed like the racing point Perez relationship cooled a bit in more recent weeks, but I really don't know what's going to happen there it doesn't look like it's going to be Ocon though does it like I would probably put money on um on Stroll Perez yeah so then uh, some people in the chat room are, are, are saying that yeah you would take Perez because he need he brings more money but the team isn't really short on money now that the the Strolls and a couple of other very wealthy people have, have bought the team they're not strapped for cash um anymore although let's be honest Perez is kind of the one who saved the team by putting it into administration in the first place. They, Like you say, they don't really need money. I think it's more a case of they need someone who's going to do a decent job without making Lance look completely hopeless, which is tough to find someone with a super license that isn't going to make him look hopeless. Um, and I don't think either of those drivers are really not going to make him look like that. I think Perez and Ocon are both significantly better than him. So would you then say if they're the only options, we'll go for the one that's going to bring more money? You know, we might as well. Rob Graham in the chat room, who normally is just yelling at me, but this is just a question. Uh, what about Ocon in Super Formula, Formula next year? I'm not the one to ask. Stevens is the one to ask. Uh, like I said before, I think him going to Super Formula, it might be good just for him to keep up his his racecraft, but I, I wouldn't be uh, at all surprised to see him embedded in the Mercedes works team somewhere, maybe with Super Formula alongside that. So uh, Brad's laughing. Have you caught something in the chat room? Just um, mirror three hundred three iffy asking uh, asking me how I really feel about Stroll. I'm sorry, I don't. I, I just I've said this before. I just hate entitled people who are not only overprivileged but also aren't good enough to back that up. Like um, Lando Norris, massively overprivileged, but he's also very good and seems humble enough and is quite funny and cool. I don't get that vibe with Lance. I just find him petulant and also rubbish. And possibly that- doesn't want to be there. Like, I don't always get the feeling that he desperately wants to be there. I had the thought the other day that this was like, do you remember the old film Brewster's Millions? Where a guy, guy, you see, you, you guys are too young. I think it was Richard Pryor. And uh, he inherited 30 million 
No, £300 million. But in order to win that, he had to lose £30 million and spend it as carelessly as possible in 30 days without arousing any suspicion. This could be what Lawrence Stroll is doing. This could be just a challenge to lose a hideous amount of money by funding his son's racing career. Anyway, since no one gets that reference, I'm all by myself. Uh, Let's talk to our panel. Can't win them all. I'll look at the chat room, rubbing it in. Fine, I'm a bit older than you, Gits. Uh, let's talk to championship leader in his class, Bradley Philpot. What an amazing comeback. About a month ago, your title hopes in the VLN were all but gone. And you've just, we've been following you since then. You've just been smashing it. You've been taking some ridiculous pole margins. Your team has been on point, And now you're in the lead by 0.0025 points. <laughs> yeah, so... We're, we're ahead by 0.25 points. And I know that sounds weird, but the scoring system in VLN is also very weird. Um, the more people who enter each race, the more points are available. So that's what it comes ah. down to, uh, you know, 0.whatever. But yeah, you're right. We had a terrible start to the year. We didn't start the first four races for various reasons. Brake failure in practice at round one. Car still being rebuilt at round two. I had a, an accident in qualifying in round three, which wasn't really my fault, but I was driving the car. Um, round four, the turbo failed after we took pole and we were on our way to the grid, you know, just the worst possible thing. And then we haven't stopped winning since then, which coupled with the cars we're racing against having their own issues Mm -hmm. has turned it around. So we've just, you know, just got one fingernail on the championship trophy now with one round to go. And we've got a four-way title showdown uh, between us and a, a few other cars. So Yeah, I'm, I'm glad for you that it's turned around because you're not really a it's all about taking part and doing things in the right way kind of guy. You want to be winning. Yeah, I was pretty miserable for most of the year, actually. So apologies to everyone who had to suffer that, um, or my friends, who some of whom will be listening. But yeah, um, I'm That's- a lot happier now. I like I like a chance to win. And the team are even talking about buying a faster car for next year and all, all positivity at the moment. And by the way, uh, you can see on Brad's YouTube channel, Brad Dude 16 uh, no, it's <laughs> you can just type Bradley Philpot. In fact, my channel name is actually now changed to Bradley Philpot ah, Motorsport. Well so, done. That's a lot um, better. I changed that ages ago. It didn't display. But yeah, follow all the goings on on Facebook, my Facebook page, Bradley Philpot Motorsport, or on YouTube channel, Bradley Philpot Motorsport, where I do my best to make professional content kind of programs about yeah. each race weekend. Thank and the championship final next weekend we're making a really special fly on the wall documentary behind the scenes of the whole weekend. So more of like a 15 minute video should be good. Yeah. Bradley is, is not a humble at all when it comes to racing or karting, but when it comes to media, you're a very good communicator and actually a, a decent presenter and video maker. So do keep in touch uh, with Bradley and what he's doing online and encourage him, give him a shove because he's already pretty old and he's not going to be able to race cars forever. So he needs exactly. something to fall back on. Uh, Kedanath says Bradley already has a world champions vocab. I crashed and it wasn't really my fault i have to say you were the car behind but go to bradley philpott's youtube channel and decide for yourself whether you think he was at fault i braked no the bump is talking there's there's no no opportunity for you to defend yourself now once the music starts it's over we move on uh let's talk about actual racing standards then uh the the uh fia in the no hang on i always get confused chris help me out I'm going to make a fool of myself. FIA, FOM. Which one's Charlie Whiting? He's was FOM. Look, FIA. Right, whatever. Who cares? They should have given them much different sounding TLAs. That's three letter 
and acronyms. But they've clarified the rules about two moves. And this was uh, from Sebastian Vettel's defense of Lewis Hamilton a couple of races back where people were watching a, a video that had been adjusted to take away jittery movements and then using that as proof that there were no jittery movements. Come on, Internet. Wake up. Yes, a a video that has been deliberately affected to be smooth will show the movement to be smoother. But they've decided that he made two moves. So for me, that's pretty much, you know, that's that argument dead. And then now saying, no, Chris, I'm sorry, your fade is down. And they're now saying that they are outlawing that. And even though it was two moves in the same direction, it is still two moves. And I have to say, I like that because the two moves isn't about direction. The two moves is about making a decision. So the guy who's attacking makes a decision. The guy defending has an opportunity to make a decision as well to block. And and then the guy behind, because you have to presume that there's a closing speed. So there's only a limited amount of time to make these moves. You can't then get into weaving and jumping about. And that is what this rule is clarifying, is that it is essentially weaving, even if you're moving in the same direction. Now, Chris, have I filly busted enough for you to not care uh, to make a comeback? No, because... Ah. You clearly didn't read the article that. <laughs> no, I don't uh, read. Reference. No, well, oh, I, well, was, well, I, I was waiting for the podcast version, which is this, unfortunately, and I'm on it. <laughs> no, um, that move that Sebastian Vettel made was deemed to be legal, hence no penalty. It was deemed to be one maneuver in in the same direction from the multitude of camera angles that the stewards and Charlie saw it from. But when Lewis Hamilton asked for clarification uh, from Charlie on that move in the driver briefing in Japan, they've come to the conclusion that if you move in one direction, pause, and then make a move even in the same direction, you risk getting a penalty. Uh, But the problem is, Chris, people will already have just switched off after the thing I said, and they won't have bothered absorbing that clarification. Let's talk to a driver about defensive moves, though, Brad, because unfortunately you weren't on for the Magnussen uh, versus who did who crashed into the back of him? Leclerc's Leclerc. move. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of those two incidents? Oh, man, I wasn't on. But boy, was I shouting at the radio <laughs> whilst I was running, listening to the podcast. Um, yeah. So these things are always going to have slight gray areas. And I, can I please applaud you, Spanners, on how much better you've got at analyzing this kind of thing? Because you your description of of this a few minutes ago was really really good which makes it all the more stunning that your own race craft is terrible <laughs> it's but, so bad um, i can't overtake anyone i will say though yeah, I, so- I won a ra- i won a go-kart race on friday it was only a work do but it was outdoor 30 carts i fluked it's my way start, yeah i fluked my way into the lead in a yellow flag adult qualifying and then every single car behind me crashed on the first lap and gave me like a 30 second lead but it still counts i won so my view is that basically a driver is going to drive to whatever the rules that are being forced at the time are. So that means that Vettel's double move to the right um, on Hamilton at the time was deemed fair. So that's fine. I don't need to really question that. If that's now been clarified that that isn't allowed, it does make it slightly tricky because the pause in between the two moves, you know, when it's a direction change from right to left, say, that's a lot easier to kind of define than a right kind of pause to right because how much do you have to pause do you need to completely straighten the wheel do you need to just reduce the steering angle a bit and then turn further makes it really tricky from a driver's point of view to to decide what what you can get away with and what you can't especially when lots of straights aren't really straight you know they can be curved gently to one direction so i'm not sure how i feel about that one um 
But sorry, Chris is desperate to say something. Well, I just think this is classic F1 rulemaking, isn't it? Where you say a thing that is just full of grey areas and is so open to interpretation that every incident that happens is going to be treated very, very differently. But I'd be very keen to hear um, about your thoughts on the Leclerc Magnussen incident, because I could not believe when I heard that somebody tried to defend Kevin Magnussen in this podcast. Yeah, so I... I actually was pausing the podcast, sending you guys voice notes about my opinions. And I'll try and boil it down to this. A defending driver already has a lot of rules put upon them of what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. They're not allowed to move in the braking zone. They're not allowed to move twice. They're not allowed to move if there is an overlap of another car. At some point, they have to be allowed to defend. And Magnussen moved to the right when there was no car alongside him, wasn't in a braking zone, didn't make two moves. He's... He's ticked all the boxes of what you're allowed to do. At some point, let the guys defend. And at some point, the onus has to be on the overtaking car to make a clear, decisive move at the correct time. And I know it does look pretty bad from Leclerc's view. And it does look like Magnussen makes a last minute move. But he's allowed to. And like I said at the start of this little segment, drivers are going to do whatever they are allowed to do that they're not penalized for and is permitted specifically within the regulations. And if that makes it difficult for the guy behind to overtake, that's his problem. He's just working within the rules. It's interesting, isn't it? People kind of had to make up an extra rule because it wasn't in the braking zone and you definitely couldn't fall back on the now rescinded Verstappen rule. You had to make up a rule, which is, ah, well, okay, he did stick it to all the rules, but it was too late. Now, I've never heard at any point anybody saying what how late you can leave it before you defend is. And I'd like to see any any rules written down or even talked about since. I mean, it's quite a recent phenomenon, isn't it, of drivers defending in this fashion? In a way, it's self-policing because, you know, Magnussen came off badly in that situation. He got hit from behind, got a puncture. You know, it didn't really work out for him. But my point of view is he should still be allowed to do that. And the self-policing element is that if you do leave it too late and, you know, practically too late, I don't mean within the rules. I don't think you should be punished for it. But if the guy behind you doesn't have enough time to make a decision and hits you, then, you know, that kind of makes your mind up for you. I'm sure next time <laughs> he would do it slightly differently, but I still don't think you should be punished for it. But also, hasn't he brilliantly, in kind of the way that Senna did, he's making other drivers think now. It's when you come up behind Verstappen and you want to make a move, you've got to have a real good think about it. Magnussen's put himself in that same position. Uh, and I've heard about certain Philpot driving tactics. I've heard this from Kyle and Van Jean about your sim racing defensive moves. What are they referring to, Bradley? Uh, and also real life karting moves. It's, one, it's the exact same thing. I Okay, so with <laughs> Kyle, I made quite a rough maneuver on Kyle at a, a recent race event. I wasn't penalized for it. I did what I was allowed to do on the day within the rules the other driver might not like it but ultimately if you get away with it then you've kind of done your job as a race driver and i agree with you other drivers will now come you know magnuson hasn't been told off or had points on his license if a driver comes up behind him and makes a last minute move they might think twice about it and also on a almost the same subject did you see his move just a few seconds earlier on Leclerc around 130R. It was one of the most awesome moves I've seen in recent years. It wasn't broadcast live, but you can check it out on YouTube. A wheel to wheel then, Magnussen as a racer doesn't upset you. No, not at all. I find it really funny how much he upsets other drivers, but as long as you're getting the job done, and I, I actually wouldn't argue that he does that all the time. Sometimes he, he doesn't get the job done, does he? He's not perfect, but I quite like I quite like his attitude. Maybe that's my slightly <laughs> naughty driving. Because I'm actually a very clean 
racer, you know, Kyle power move aside, I'm normally very fair because <laughs> I can't I've, afford to fix the damage. Yeah, I've heard you described as a very correct driver. That's how, that's how I've heard you being described by other people. All right, guys, we're going to move on to a subject. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And they say it with trepidation and Chris is adjusting his collar and I am as well opening the shed door to let some air in. So trigger warning. I quite like, I quite like that. If you're liable to get upset at me over stuff, just, you know, just, just, just skip ahead. We've got a lovely song by Anna Pencaldi at the end of the show. That's nice. That's lovely and relaxing. You could just skip towards the end of that if you like. But Chris, we're going to talk about the W series and you've done some good journalism on behalf of Missed Apex podcast today. And you have spoken to two drivers who it affects more than it affects you and I, uh, two lady racers. You can't say that, but in this context, surely that's valid. It's two races that are ladies and specifically have uh, very specific... Oh, see, we're in trouble already, Chris. I've called them lady racers. It's only when they're racing other men and you feel the need to to specify that they're women. But in this case, you know, we're trying to accentuate the fact that their opinion matters a heck of a lot more than ours, for example. It does. But I have been told a few times already on the internet, because this argument, it's exhausting when people are this upset about a thing, that I'm not allowed to have an opinion because I'm I'm not a woman and or, or that it counts for less. I think it's it's fine for everybody to have an opinion. In this case, though, Chris, you used some initiative and you got in touch with people you know to speak to. You've got two interviews lined up for us now. Who have you got lined up for us today? 
Uh, so the first interview will come from Alice Powell, who is the first woman to score points in GP3. And the second will come from Charlie Martin, who you may know from uh, Ginetta's. And this year she's been doing the GT5 challenge. OK, so it's Alice Powell first. So tell us about what the W Series plans to achieve. Well, it's just to get more females into motorsport, really. So a little bit like Dare to be Different, apart from, you know, it's going to be getting females in the seats, getting track time, and hopefully getting them a great opportunity to move up the ladder. Um, not necessarily Formula One. Obviously, that's ideal, you know, and I think that is really what they're trying to achieve is get a female to Formula One. But for me, in general, really, I think it's a a great opportunity i haven't been driving i haven't driven in a race car already for about four years which is very depressing obviously i'm so lucky to have had the opportunity to drive you know some fantastic cars gp3 formula 3 but however you know just funding has has halted my progress so the w series is a perfect opportunity for me to try and get into the series and get back out racing again now, of course, not uh, everyone has been so welcoming um, of the idea. I, I think one of the criticisms has been that uh, having it at, at an F3 level, and can you tell us maybe why um, that decision was made and, and to not to go for something at more grassroots level? I just think because I think the F3 is such a good car to learn in. Um, there's obviously going to be a lot of changes this, um, or oh, sorry, in 2019 for Formula 3. We've got the British F3, obviously, which is going to be slightly separate, so it won't be like a normal FI F3. I don't think they've started in the Formula 4, mainly because it, it, there's t- lots of different types of F4s out there. You know, you've got the British F4, but doesn't use the same car as the Italian, whereas the F3 is, is there's the British F3, slightly different car to FI F3. There's only two types of cars, so I'm not entirely sure which F3 they're going to be using. So it's all a bit, Formula 3 is quite confusing at the moment, but I think it's a good base to start. And it will progress the learning for if you want to branch off um, and do, let's say, GTs or move up into Formula 2. Just uh, lastly, you know, the, uh, amongst the other criticisms, um, Charlie Martin, Pippa Man, they've been quite vocal um, about it, described it as segregation. Can you sympathise with those comments? What would your response to that be? Yeah, I suppose you could view, you know, as as it being segregation. I'm I'm quite open minded. I I try and take in as many people's points and views and opinions as possible. As I put again on social media yesterday, I don't mind who I race against. You know, I've won championships where I've been the only female racing. So I'm not bothered about about who I race against. It's an opportunity. And I think that's the the key thing with the W Series, opportunity for females to race. You know, I've also seen comments from people saying, well, how come they didn't start up, you know, like the racing steps or Red Bull program, you know, similar for, for females. And I think... I believe, from what I can understand, that you know they haven't got that level of funding. Obviously, they're they're somehow getting the funding to have these fantastic cars, getting some support from somewhere. But you know those kind of programs, you know, to put say females in different series like Formula Two, you know, Formula Two budget is millions. So I think this is a good starting point to try and get females into different categories by putting them through the series. Good. Chris, that is Alice Powell, who is clearly very 
uh, eager uh, to, to see what happens in this series. Uh, however, obviously not everybody is happy about the new W series. And who else did you speak to this week? Uh, Charlie Martin, uh, who, I'm, as I mentioned before, you may know from Genetas. All right, let's play that. So you've been quite vocal about um, the W series. Why do you think it's not the best idea? Fundamentally, I just feel like it's a, a step backwards to, you know, to have a, a series that is based on segregation. Um, motorsport has always been one of the very few sports where men and women historically have competed head to head on the same track without any kind of separation. So I think to be doing this right now, it just, it doesn't feel like progress to me. Uh, some people have said that just having any space for women um, to race is a, is a good thing. So what would your rebuttal to that be? Of course, we, we all want the same thing, which is more women in motorsport and also women competing at higher and higher levels. In that sense, it is, it's a good thing to see more women out there doing what they love doing. But I think to just say, well, anything that achieves this is, is a good thing because I, I don't think this is the right way to, uh, to promote women and to show that they can perform at the best, best level against men um, by putting them in their own series. How is that achieving that aim? Okay, so what would your solution um, to the to the grander issue um, be? Some people have said taking the money that's being put into this series and just directly investing it into uh, female races themselves. Is, is that your solution? I think something like that could work. Yeah, I do. Um, I think if you had some kind of ladder-based uh, system with, say, the backing of just, for example, somebody like Red Bull or, you know, get some big brands on board and have a, a system that's, that's taking women who are, you know, regardless of what category they're competing in, whether it's endurance, rallycross, uh, you know, or single-seaters, and, and giving them the support to help them move forwards and move upwards in their career, whether that's media opportunities, help finding more partnerships uh, or, or direct funding. Um, and essentially, because, you know, by doing this as well, it's important to mention this is an F3 single-seater drive. It, there are women doing well in all series, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you take someone who's doing well in, in rallycross and put them in an F3 car. How, how are they going to perform against someone who's already competing in that discipline? It's, it's, it's far from being a perfect solution to an important problem that, that women are facing, really. Obviously, a very emotive subject there, Chris. You can, you can tell from, from both sides that everybody is genuinely well-intentioned. I think everyone shares the same aim, which is letting women do what they want to do in motorsport. So, I suppose you're allowed an opinion, Chris, in your opinion. Do you think this series will be a net good? Or, actually, there's two questions, isn't there? One is, will it be a net good? And two, should you do it? Uh, wow, should you do it is a big question that I probably don't have the answer to. But there are definitely things I like about it. The fact that it's free to enter is is huge. It makes it a pure talent hunt rather than anything to do with funding, which, as we know, is the majority of whether or not you make it in motorsport uh, and then talent comes second these days, unfortunately. So the fact that it's a pure talent hunt is, is really, really great. But then also just the idea of separating men and women. Uh, I, I tend to agree with Charlie. It feels like a step backwards. So um, I, I've been worried to voice a, an opinion on this, but I think my opinion is neutral enough that it's not really going to be a problem for anyone either side. Oh, you'd be surprised, um, Brad. Come wander into so, the pit with us. 
so my my view is I think the saving grace about this championship is that it's not being billed as an end point. Um, it's not that female racers are aiming to get to Formula W like people aim to get to Formula One. This is a, a potential stepping stone for them to, uh, you know, get some exposure and obviously experience in a, in a decent car, F3 level car, and then perhaps move on to something else. I think the fact that it's being billed as free for the for the female drivers is obviously going to help them. Um, you know, if if you can get a free drive in a fast single seater, obviously that's great. And that gives more opportunity. I think it would be very different if this was, as I think Formula Woman was a little while ago, um, just, you know, build as something that because uh, women aren't able to compete against the men, they're going to do this instead. I think this is just another potential place for women to drive. And if it, if it helps those people, then I think that's great. Um, I got asked a question in the chat room. Mm-hmm. Um, do I race against uh, female drivers? And in VLN, there are quite a few. Um, obviously, like most motorsport, very much male-dominated, but there are quite a few um, women who race in VLN. Um, Sabine Schmitz is obviously the, the most prolific in, in the GT3 class. Um, you know, She's in the Frickadelli team right at the front. And she's been racing, even recovering from cancer recently. Various other um, ladies in, in other cars as well. So... The, in the chat room, we have comments such as, oh, look, a middle-class white guy has an opinion on women's issues. Personally, I can see I can see where you're coming from. I don't think that's helpful. Is the suggestion that all men need to, to not you know, have an opinion or be active in these issues? I disagree with that entirely. Uh, and then the other one is, well, why not have racing series that are mandated with quotas for 50-50? So you have to have series that have 50-50. Brad, at this point, is there a chance that at this point, because we have had, and I believe I believe this to be true, because we have had inequality in motorsport to the point that females don't feel like motorsport is for them. So in that respect, I'm very happy there's something that is artificially bringing them forward on a bigger scale. That, that for me, that's that's what I'm I'm most happy about because positive discrimination is is rarely comfortable. We've seen it in other areas where the end result has been good. It's been very uncomfortable when we've done it. Would would there be an issue? I mean, we're probably going to have an issue in the W Series at the moment because are there enough women currently at F3, the F3 stage in their career? Yeah, this is a point I was thinking of earlier on. I think you're going to have quite a big field spread. and I think you're going to have several drivers at the front who are you know good enough to be in in the series with anyone else in you know the mainstream single seater series and i think you're going to struggle to fill a grid with that kind of standard of driver but having said that look at any series there are back of the grid drivers in you know gp3 and formula 2 as well um and in most series you're only there because you can afford to be there at least in this series there might be some meritocracy involved because the drivers aren't paying to be there. You know, they're being selected out of a pool of however many um, female drivers there are um, and they're having the drive paid for from what I understand. So I, I think to begin with, there might be quite a big spread, but it's one of those things. If this encourages more people to get involved and there is a bigger pool to choose from over time, it will become higher quality. And hopefully in the end, in a very long time, it won't be necessary because I agree it's uncomfortable, but probably necessary. I agree with everything you're saying, but I, I I do have two questions about it. And my first is that, you know, if there is enough money to get all these cars and put an entire series together, why are they not investing in the, the female races that are already doing quite okay for themselves and, and lack some funding? And that's the kind of thing that's stopping them progressing even further in their careers. 
And the other thing is, that I think we we need to go to the very root of um, the issue. And it's beyond F4 and it's going back to even karting um, level. I saw um, a statistic on that said you know, something like less than 8% of the UK cart holders, uh, license holders, are women. They're, that's where the fundamental issue starts. So you need to make a difference yeah. there. So, so Chris, I think I, you can. Yeah, you don't on. have to do one or the other, though, do you? Yeah. And I think potentially the funding that's available for this series, it's not as simple as saying, well, why don't they just support the female drivers who are already there? Maybe the funding isn't available for that. Maybe the people who are coughing up the cash aren't willing to do that. And so, you know, maybe there are various approaches to fix the problem. Yeah. Of course, you you get five hundred thousand dollars for winning the series um but then to go to f2 you need a budget of somewhere around two million but then i feel like the series would almost be doing the wrong thing by trying to get the full budget if they say look here's two million for winning the series you can now go and do f2 i feel like that would be kind of counterintuitive in a way it's it's almost like it's almost like DRS, you know, it should it should give you a step on the ladder. It shouldn't do the job for you. Uh, I spoke to my kids about it. And my little boy said, that's nice. It didn't seem fair before. This might make it a bit more fair. So that's, that's an eight year old's opinion. And my little daughter said, that's brilliant. Can we watch it? I'm interested to see what the girls can do. So for me, that's that's the main one is that I didn't have any positive role models in racing for my little girl to look at. And she, in fact, did say to me, Daddy, all racing drivers are boys. And she's come along karting and there have been less women there, less little girls there. And she has been less keen to go back. She's kind of like, yeah, I've kind of dragged her along the last few times. But if we're sitting down and watching six actual races a year that is based around women uh, that she can identify with, at the moment, I, I don't see the particular harm as long as it's not affecting women's chances in other in other series. And I think that's the danger people are talking about. Don't think it's useful to say the word segregation. It's a very loaded word. It would be segregation if you were then now stopping women going into other series. I don't think anybody is technically doing that, although there is a fear that that might be the effect. Chris, shall we quit where we're, where we're only slightly behind? 100%. Well, now we've lost all our viewers and listeners. Let's talk about, well, the race coming up next weekend is the Austin Grand Prix. But first of all, there was a reasonably, what do you call it, like a quiet Newsday article, wasn't there, about Lewis Hamilton saying that they should shake up the format for Formula One weekends. The purists among us will all be sort of shaking in our potential graves. That's not a phrase at all. However... Lewis Hamilton does kind of have a point. There's some tracks where you turn up to and you know nothing's going to happen. Monaco, Hungary, and we're talking in the dry here. Uh, Singapore. There's these street circuits where you can't follow. It's all decided in qualifying. Why not? Why not make it all entertaining? Why do we have to go year after year after year, Chris, knowing that we're going to turn up at some places and there's literally nothing interesting? Surely there's room for the odd reverse grid, the odd, say with Monaco, let's just make the track wet. Let's just have a wet race at Monaco every year. That's the only way it's in any way worth watching. Because then it becomes wacky races and not Formula One. Formula One is supposed to be the pinnacle of motorsport, not 
wacky races it's got to be it's got to be pure if you if you want to make the races more interesting change the cars because the cars are the big issue right now we've seen great races on track like nobody expected japan to be an entertaining race and yet i was thoroughly entertained during that race and there was some some great moves going on in that race i don't think it's the tracks that are the issue when you start doing things like reverse grids and success ballast it's just these are things that you put into a national championship to make them more interesting so more people watch them it's not something you put at the top tier main stage okay good so you're 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 against cost caps then good because that, that how is that different that that is basically success ballast isn't it if a business is successful enough to be able to throw more money at it you want to hobble them by reducing the budget they can use no that's there's that's true but there's also a caveat with that in that it, for, in some cases it's you know within the interest of maintaining uh, the existence of some of the cars on the grid really <laughs> yeah but how about maintaining the interest of the people who are watching if you want to keep making these cars faster and they're gonna how can you have a place like singapore where eight seconds behind another car your car becomes much less aerodynamically efficient that's the car's fault then isn't it it's it really hasn't got much to do with the tracks go and look at some other series because you will find a good race somewhere on every single track even the valencia street circuit had an amazing race because the cars allowed for it no valencia had one good race in like 2012 where everybody crashed and that's it. That- it so what you're saying is if there's lots of crashes we can have a good race apart and that's the only reason baku is good to be fair it's because that turn one and the little castle section generates some crashes and that's it if, if Baku didn't have those smashes and safety cars, that wouldn't be a good racing circuit. Brad, who do you agree with, me or this idiot? Um, I'm not a massive fan of the gimmicks. I appreciate we already have some, um, you know, DRS being one of them. I'm, I'm at pains to uh, kind of, not that it's my decision, but to allow more of them. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a purist, but I also... I'm not afraid of change for the better. There are some things I'd rather wouldn't change. I think the qualifying format we've got at the moment is good. Yeah. There's one really big change that I would absolutely love to see. So, so this is, this is quite a big thing. Hear me out on this one. And this isn't an original opinion. Um, I read this in autosport years ago. And I've here we go. It's going to be like the Bradley Philpot lane system all over again. I can't wait. Come on, lay it on. The lane system is an excellent system. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's non-controversial. Yeah. So anyway, um, (laughs) I, I think that every race should start in reverse championship order. I think they would make every, they would force the teams to design cars that can overtake. Um, it would make every race exciting. And I just don't understand why we can't just start the person leading the championship at the very back. I just think it would make complete sense. Of course, if you line them up in the fastest, in the order that they qualify in fastest car at the front, of course, the races aren't going to be interesting. Like it's a no brainer. So I, why not? Why not do something like that? It was at the Mr. Mist Apex karting event where I was hanging out with friend of the show, celebrity great mate Jack Nichols, just leaning casually over the barrier, having a casual conversation like me and Jack Nichols do that one time. And uh, the, when we had the mixed up grids, we had some really, really exciting races, didn't we? We had like carnage at the first corner because what I did was I gave everybody grid positions that added up to the same. So you might have started one race at the back, one race at the front, one race in the middle. When it got to the finals, we were looking over and after the first lap, everything spread out. And after such an exciting nine races, everyone on the balcony was kind of going, huh? And it was Jackie turned around and he went, 
You can see, can't you? When you line people up in pace order, as it was in the finals, this is what you get. So by design, we're deciding to have races where people disappear off into the distance and then you get field spread. I don't think you're that crazy. Brad, and Brad, Gilles yeah. Villeneuve fan in the chat room saying that my suggestion there is wacky races gone mad. <laughs> yeah, but gone. why? It's not mm-hmm. random. It's it's a system that everyone understands. I'm not saying chuck a sprinkler on in the middle of the race and let's see what happens. This is something that the teams would know in advance. You know, if you're leading the championship, you start at the back. But it's not like the leader of the championship starts at the back and second place starts in the middle. Yeah. It's, you'd have Hamilton starting directly behind Vettel in every race. And it avoids the need for something like success ballast, which is kind of a similar idea, but this isn't artificially hobbling the cars or the drivers themselves. You know, they're still all in fair, inverted commas, machinery, doing their best. There's not some adding weight each time. Uh, I don't know. Uh, It's never going to happen, but this is just what I feel. Do you know what? We would have to change the show intro to simply this. Whose fault is it? Because that would be just the whole show, wouldn't it? But you're right. I mean, the chat room's agreeing with you that you would be forcing cars to be designed to overtake and race, which is our favourite bit. What do we talk about most in, in in the race reviews? The thing we talk about is the overtaking. And yet we've got a formula that is designed for for not overtaking. Like, Chris, we've had Mercedes where they are so used to being out front and in the lead for the race that they have a car that struggled to follow. Can you believe that? Can you have a race car that has been deliberately designed so that that they don't deal well with being behind another car? That's almost crazy. That's crazier than Brad's suggestion. That is um, more to do with the fact that they have designed, you know, because it was the quickest car, there was no point making any kind of compromise for it being another behind another car because they never expected to be behind another car because they were so dominant. Now that the field's a bit more competitive, you can't really afford to do that anymore. Of course, it was something Red Bull did a few years ago as well, back when they were dominating. But I still think you need to take a look at the cars to, to make them better for racing. So Brad, you, you can't yeah. look at the circuits because you look at even even around Monaco and Singapore and all these other tracks that people say is rubbish for racing. Other racing series go on there, single seaters, whatever, and have amazing races. Go on, Brad. Let's let you have the last word. Firstly, would you be happy going through a field of what you call billies when you're leading a championship as you are now? Happy to start at the back and give all your competitors a chance to shove you off track. Of course, that would be a dangerous, uh, you know, difficult thing. I'm not actually even suggesting we make this. I don't think Formula One needs to change. My suggestion is a response to people who think it needs to change. And and there are other suggestions or people complaining that it's not exciting enough currently. I'm quite happy with the current system. I don't complain when we get a boring race. I understand that the boring races mean that when there is a really good race, we really appreciate it. This is just the sport. So uh, my, my suggestion here is purely... A, a response to people saying it's not good enough. And I'm saying, well, what do you expect when you start the fastest person out the yeah. front? Like, I don't mind the fastest person starting at the front. I like it. But don't complain if you're knowingly doing that. Yeah, you can caveat it all you want. But the Twitter post for this episode will be Bradley Philpot demands reverse grids at every F1 race. But I kind of agree with you about I don't mind if the odd race is boring. I actually don't either. What I do mind is when I know in advance that the race is going to be boring. So we turn up at Monaco, I know it's going to be boring. 
I turn up at Singapore. I need to answer. Sorry, I just need to answer a question. I've just spotted. It sorry, better Spence, be a good question if to interrupt I, I the host. I actually didn't mean to cut God. you off. Fine, let's, I'm let's sorry. hear it. Better be good I'm and really funny. sorry. I thought you'd finished your point. I was just trying to cut in before you <laughs> change subject. Um, Phoenix2k1 has just asked, what do you enjoy more, winning or racing? Um, because it's kind of relevant to this this little chat. And I think racing, marginally. I think racing is slight. If it's a good race, enjoy that a little bit more than the winning. But if the race isn't really good, it's the winning. Chris? Chat room has brought up, they'd like to see uh, manual deployment of the battery energy and that is something that is under discussion for the 2021 regulations which i completely agree with because it'll be like going back to the old curse system where it's you know it's it's i really like that a push, but it was great it made for fantastic racing let's go back to that it was quite tactical if if it is all restricted to one lap so it all resets at the beginning of the lap i really i like that system i i could have seen curse tripled and have been happy well, yeah, well, that's basically what we've got now, except it's just automatically deployed and is just inherently part of the uh, the power unit itself. You still get X amount of deployment over a lap. Actually, there's a good comment here from Martin Benyon and saying, stop all this auto brake bias adjustment. Tell us a little bit about that, Brad, um, because we always see them fiddling with the dials. So they're changing the balance of what the brakes do between the front and the rear. And they're like managing that halfway through a lap that seems like too much just have a brake bias and deal with it surely yeah i think martin's um i don't want to um i don't want to kind of tell people what they know or what they don't know but i think martin slightly might misunderstand the system the automatic brake bias adjustment is purely that because there is an electronic component because you've got the um you know the regeneration uh, regenerative braking systems that makes the brake bias different when it's working and when it's not. And, it, and if you didn't have an automatic adjustment there, the driver wouldn't have any idea what the brakes were going to do when they arrive at a braking zone. So as far as the driver's concerned, it, there's not an automatic brake bias adjustment. If they want 55% front, 45% rear, it will always be that. It's just when the regenerative braking system takes control of some of the rear braking, their actual braking is compensated for without them knowing. The driver is still manually adjusting what the brake bias actually is. Does that make sense? So if the driver, when he steps on the brakes, wants 55% front brake bias, for example, that's what he's going to get. And if he wants to change that to 57%, he can do that. Um, the automatic changing is more that um, because there is sometimes the, the gen- regenerative system cuts in, sometimes it doesn't, it has to automatically adapt. Otherwise, the driver would have totally different brake bias every time they brake. So uh, I think Martin slightly misunderstands that. Apologies if, if I've got that wrong. Yeah, that was reasonably interesting, I presume. I have to admit, I did have a bit of a summer's tech time moment where I was going, yeah, none of this is going in, but I will listen back to that. Uh, Chris, podium, podium time in the show. Who's going to be on the podium for the Austin Grand Prix? Are we going to see the first five-time world champion since Michael Schumacher? Uh, Potentially, yeah. Hamilton can clinch the title if he wins and Vettel finishes third or lower, which is not beyond the realms of possibility to be honest, especially with the way that Mercedes have been lately. They've had quite a nice advantage over Ferrari. And this is traditionally a Mercedes circuit as well. Um, I think it's fair to say that Mercedes have stolen a march in the development race. And actually, Andrew Benson tweeted some really interesting information um, about the average qualifying gaps uh, for the season against the last three races. And across the board, between the majority of teams, it's all gone up by half a second. All right. 
Mercedes. So Ferrari, for example, were like 0.07 behind Mercedes on average throughout the season. But in the last three races, it's been half a second. And you can see that across all the other teams, except Sauber. Sauber is the only team that has maintained the same gap to Mercedes in average qualifying compared in the last uh, three races, which I think is really interesting. It does kind of back the claim that Ferrari's performance hasn't dropped because of this second sensor that the FIA have put on. Eh, but hasn't it? Well, that's the thing. Uh, Automotor and Sport said that they had seen GPS data that suggested the car is not deploying in the same way that it used to. And of course, the FIA will say it's got nothing to do with it. Ferrari will say it's got nothing to do with it. I think there's probably three or four people in the world who know the truth. So we'll be covered by the legal aspect here by saying this is opinion and we don't have any more evidence than the listener does however i i think i think that i think that's the reason i think they just they the second sensor went on so they couldn't do the thing they did beforehand and there's a missing steering wheel on the button and they did the thing with the cool bag that stopped them looking into the cockpit so that no one would be suspicious it all adds up it all adds up that's what i think happened i think it's the other thing Ferrari do have uh, quite a big aero upgrade for this race, though, so perhaps we'll see that gap decrease um, a little bit, but I would not be surprised to see a Mercedes 1-2 in this race. All right, Chris, you are doing really well. I'm really, really proud of you. You keep getting asked to do Formula E articles. Your work with Autosport is really good, to the point where I read an article thought that's a good article and then later realised it was you that read it. Optimistic about your journalistic career these days? Uh, I I like to hope so and think so and believe that I <laughs> just <laughs> that I, believe. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm going to Valencia tomorrow for formally testing. Um, so yeah, on a plane at six thirty in the morning, that's going to be uh, real fun. I'll be spending the next week there and hopefully just back in time to make it for the US uh, Grand Prix race review. Tell me where can people find your work online and to follow you in general. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at cstevens underscore journo. Most of my work can be found at formulaspy.com and occasionally in Autosport Magazine and on .com as well. Uh, Bradley Philpot's a reasonably rare name, so just search Bradley Philpot on Twitter and YouTube and you can find all his stuff. Live stream, hang around, we'll be chatting after I play a song. We used to do this all the time, Chris. You won't remember this, but me and Matt used to find artists uh, all the time that were up and coming and we'd play their music and promote it at the end of the show and one of these people Anna Pancaldi has now sort of risen to the point where she's a, a good touring artist and we're really 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 proud of her uh, I'm going to play her new single Peace which is out on the 19th of October this year they're also doing a UK tour so follow her and search for her on SoundCloud and stuff and you won't be disappointed if you find her on Twitter it's Anna Pancaldi so as it sounds and tell tell her tell her Miss Apex sent you and that you enjoyed this tune and remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever how do you find do you find the
remind you that that is Anna Pancaldi that you're listening to. And this is Peace. And it's out on the 19th of October 2018. Follow her on Twitter and stuff. There's the chat room telling me that I've forgotten comment of the week. What comment of the week in the regular show? Are they mad? When's the last time that happened? Fine, fine. We'll do comment of the week. Chris, we never actually agreed. Are you monitoring comment of the week? I, I'm just having this panic attack now that we didn't agree who was going to monitor the chat room. <laughs> no, we didn't, but why not? I have some contenders for comment of the week. Go on then. So the first one is Bradley Philpot, Chris Rocks. Thank you, Bradley. <laughs> Stuart, Stuart Neil Spanners is auditioning for the Chris Evans show. And uh, Phoenix 2K1. I just hope this year, if Lewis Hamilton wins the championship in Austin, he tries to dominate for the rest of the season instead of going into holiday mode, which I think is going to be the winner. Comment of the week. And I do want to see him give a race win back. And then, right, when he does give that race win back, everybody criticise him for doing that. Because that's what will happen when it, as soon as he does that, if he gives a race win back, they'll be going, oh, it's just lame. That's pathetic. Why did you do that? What about in uh, Hungary last year when he gave the podium back to, to Valtteri? Yeah, I mean, he got just as much abuse for that as well, didn't he? I, li- I liked it. I, I, didn't, I thought both were okay, to be honest. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.